Please do take your seats. Last week, we finished with the thought that all of the new believers in the early church were energised in their faith and their work and their witness by the power of God living in them in the form of the Holy Spirit. And that the Holy Spirit was not just for those first believers, but for all Christians and for all time. And that includes us. That's the good news. And so what I want to do over the next couple of weeks is to open up that question and ask exactly what does the Holy Spirit do in the life of a Christian? Remember, uh, towards the end of Acts 2, in, in the first ever recorded sermon in the early church, the Apostle Peter urges those listening to repent and be baptised, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So the Spirit comes into our lives through repentance, which means turning away from the wrong stuff in our lives and going in a new direction. And secondly, through putting our trust in Jesus Christ. But that process also does something else. John's Gospel tells us that to all who received him, that's Jesus, to all who received Jesus, he gave the right to become children of God. And in the first letter um, from the Apostle John, which Tracy read to us this morning, chapter 3 began with these words. See what love the Father has given us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. And so it seems that at the same time we receive the Spirit of God through faith in Jesus Christ, we also become children of God. And there's a wonderful passage, which I'm going to ask Johnny to put up on the screen over there, in Paul's letter to the Romans in chapter 8, which explains how this happens. And it goes like this. Those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. For you received the spirit of sonship, or a better translation perhaps would be adoption, the spirit of adoption, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies that with our spirit that we are God's children. Isn't that incredible? The Spirit of God in the life of a Christian is what makes us adopted sons and daughters of God. On the Alpha course, we tell a story about a child who's um, orphaned and then adopted, and, and they're playing in the playground, and they're getting quite a lot of jip from the other children who've just found out that they're adopted and so on, until the child turns around to the other children and says, listen, my parents chose me, yours just got lumbered with you. Good point. Good point. Billy Bray was a drunken... Um, and uh, loose-living tin miner from Cornwall, who lived in the early 19th century. And he was always getting involved in fights and domestic quarrels. Um, And at the age of 29, he dramatically came to faith in Jesus Christ. And he told his wife, you will never see me touch another drop of drink again with God's help. And he never did. And full of the Holy Spirit, he became a powerful preacher 
and thousands of miners would come from all over the area to hear him speak. And many were um, converted to faith in Jesus Christ. There were amazing healings. And his trademark, though, from that moment on, was that he always recalled himself a young prince. And he said, well, I must be a prince because I'm the son of a king, as he recognised that he was a child of God. So once we know our position in God's eyes as children of the God who created this whole universe, then there is no other status in the world that we could possibly want to chase after. Nothing could be as amazing as being a child of God. And what's more, Billy Bray's story is a powerful demonstration that being children of God is not just a, a theological proposition, in other words, you know, a something that we believe in, a truth that we believe in, but it's actually an experienced reality when the Holy Spirit comes to live in our lives. <clears throat> in that verse uh, from Paul's letter to the Romans, he says that by the Spirit we cry, Abba. Now, Abba is an Aramaic r- word. And there is no equivalent in the Old Testament. You don't find it at all in the Old Testament. Um, And it's very hard to translate into English because it's as intimate as the word daddy. And yet it's not a childish word. Perhaps the nearest we can get to it is, is something like dearest father. Dearest father. That's what Abba means. And it calls into being the closest possible relationship that you can have between a child and their father. But how can we be so close, so intimate with the creator of the whole universe? How can that be? How does that work? Well, perhaps one way of looking at it is to think about Prince Charles for a moment. I've got a list here of some of his titles. He is heir apparent to the crown, He's His Royal Highness, the Prince of Wales. He's the Duke of Cornwall, Knight of the Garter, Colonel-in-Chief of the Royal Regiment of Wales, Duke of Rothesay, Knight of the Thistle, Commander of the Royal Navy, Great Master of the Order of Bath, Earl of Chester, Earl of Carrick, Baron of Renfrew, Lord of the Isles, Great Steward of Scotland, and it goes on. You and I would probably address him as Your Royal Highness, but I suspect that William and Harry call him Dad, and it's a bit like that with us when we become children of God. We have that kind of intimacy with the creator of the whole universe. John Wesley, the great founder of Methodism, who had been very religious, as he called it, before he had a real conversion, said about his conversion, I exchanged the faith of a servant for the faith of a son. And the Spirit gives us the deepest possible experience of God. One man, I, I like the story of, of one man, uh, Bishop Bill Burnett, who was, um, he was Archbishop of Cape Town for a while, a South African um, bishop. And he said this, he said, When I became a bishop, I believed in theology, in other words, the truth about God. But for all intents and purposes, I was a practical atheist. I tried to be seek righteousness by doing good things and saying the right thing. But I didn't really believe in here. And then one day he was speaking at a confirmation service on the passage from Romans chapter 5, which says, God has poured out his love by his Holy Spirit into our hearts. And after the service, he went home as usual and he poured himself a stiff gin and tonic and got the newspaper out and sat down to relax. And he sensed God saying to him, come and pray. 
And so he got up and he walked through to his little chapel, which the bishop's house had its own little private chapel. He walked through to his chapel and he knelt down and he, and he sensed God saying to him, I want your body. Now, Bill Burnett was about six foot six, thin as a rake, gangly sort of thing. And he thought, God, why on earth would you want my body? But if you really do, you can have all of me. And the next moment, he found himself flat on the floor. He describes it as shockwaves of love and joy pouring through his body. And that day, he was changed forever. He became a powerful preacher. People came from all over the country to hear him preach. Many people came to faith in God through his ministry. And he heard, as he was lying on that floor, he heard the words from God saying, you are my son. You are my son. And it proved a turning point in his ministry. My own experience wasn't quite as dramatic as, as, uh, as B- Bill Burnett's. Um, but on that day that I've mentioned before in South Africa, in this little church out in the Waterberg Mountains, where, where I went as a non-believer and then had an incredibly powerful experience of, of the presence of God, the one overriding feeling I had that day was that God was my father and that I had been welcomed into the family where I was always meant to be. That's how it felt. The Holy Spirit, that's what it means when it says, the Holy Spirit testifies with our spirit that we are adopted sons and daughters of God. Well, having said that, here's a question. Do we we have a sense that we are sons and daughters of the living God. Is that how we feel? The passage from 1 John that Tracy read says, see what love the Father has given us that we should be called children of God and that is what we are. Is that a living reality in our lives? Because it can be by the power of the Holy Spirit living in us. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Jesus. And John's letter goes on to say in verse 2 that although now we are children of God, what we will be has not yet been revealed. In other words, the good news is how we are now is not as good as it's going to get. And it goes on in verse 2 to say when he is revealed, we will be like him. What does that mean? Well, it means that as we spend time in the presence of God with the Holy Spirit dwelling in us, the Spirit of God transforms us to be more like Jesus. Paul writes to the Corinthian church, we are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. We don't become perfect the moment we come to faith in Jesus Christ. But over time, as the Spirit dwells in us, there should be change in our lives. And you know, sometimes people say, do you know, I'm not really sure whether I want to become a sort of wholehearted Christian because I'm not sure how that's going to really change the way I, I have to live. Sometimes people say that. But the result of God's Spirit dwelling in us is what Paul calls the fruit of the Spirit. And, and this is it. It's love joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. And so these are the ways we will change by the power of the Holy Spirit. We will become more loving, more joyful, more peaceful, more patient, more kind, more gentle, and so on. Who wouldn't want to change in those kinds of ways? 
I can't think. And as we change more into the likeness of Jesus, so as a church family, we become more united. It's the desire, isn't it, of every parent that there is peace in the family. And God desires just the same. And God's spirit dwelling in us develops that unity. At his very last meal with his disciples, the Last Supper, Jesus prayed for his disciples more than anything that they would be united, that they would be one, and that through that they would be a wonderful witness to the world. And that's why, even though I love the Church of England, and that's why, that's why I work as part of the organisation of the Church of England, it's actually not really important what Christian denomination we are. What is much more important is whether we have the Spirit of God living in us. Because if we do, then we are all children of God and brothers and sisters in a worldwide fellowship, whatever name we give to our particular group. So if it's so important to have the Spirit dwelling in us, it's probably right to ask the question, how can that happen? And also to ask the converse, what, if anything, could sort of get in the way of the Spirit dwelling in us richly? Some of you who were here last week will remember that I said that while all Christians have the Holy Spirit dwelling in them, not all Christians are filled with the Spirit. In other words, the Spirit isn't, if you like, fully released in all Christians. In other words, it's sort of somehow dampened down in in some people's lives to different degrees. All three passages this morning point to exactly the same reason for that, the number one issue in our human lives. And that's what the Bible calls sin, the things that we do that that are wrong, the things that don't honour God. In our first reading today from the book of Acts, in the last verse, Peter says, Repent, therefore, and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. The Holy Spirit cannot work in our lives effectively if we allow sin to remain. I think I told you a little while ago that in my former life, as it were, when I was in business, making lots of money, I held an offshore account um, outside of the UK that the, t- the UK taxman didn't know anything about. It was illegal to do that. I was avoiding paying tax. Um, it was, I, I told myself it was just what everybody else in the company was doing, so, so that made it all right, but of course it wasn't. But after I came to faith, I found that my, in my new life of faith, it, which took off very, very well for a while, it sort of stuttered and almost stopped when this issue came up in my life and I felt God telling me to to do something about it, to put it right. I knew I had to make a choice. It was either to go God's way or to have a very poor walk with God, one of the two. And so I had to give it up. I had to pay back the unpaid tax um, and uh, and clean up my act. And after that, my faith blossomed again. And uh, to quote the passage from 1 John, times of refreshing came from the Lord. Um, That's how it felt like my faith took off again. Now, at the risk of sounding like I'm blowing my own trumpet, which is a very dangerous thing for a preacher to do, that's what repentance looks like. It's not so much about saying the words of the confession on a Sunday morning. It's about putting that confession into action in our lives. The old idea that we can sin all week as long as we confess on Sunday is absolute nonsense. That is a picture of an unrepentant life 
not a repentant one, and the Holy Spirit cannot dwell in an unrepentant life. Now, I realise that probably some of you are sitting here this morning and thinking to yourselves, I don't know what you're talking about, Pads. I've never experienced being filled with the Spirit. Does that mean I'm full of sin? Please, let me reassure you. If you have faith in God through Jesus Christ, you have the Spirit dwelling in you. The Spirit of God dwells in you. And over the coming weeks, we're going to explore further how we can be open to the work of the Spirit in our lives. But our first task must be, as Jesus and his apostles tell us in the Gospels and in the letters, our first task, if we want to be Spirit-filled witnesses to his resurrection, must be to take those things that are wrong in our lives, our sins, to take them to the cross on which Jesus died and leave them there. That, he says, is the first step to being clothed with power from on high. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your immense love and the gift of the Holy Spirit, the very presence of God that lives in all believers, who makes us your children, who brings intimacy with the Father. We pray that you would shine your light on anything in our lives, whether it's pride or greed or anger or failure to forgive others or lack of love in in any area of our lives. Lord, please come and do a work of grace in us. Fill us with your Spirit. Turn us away from what we need to leave behind and help us to grow in your likeness so that your kingdom comes in our lives more and more. For Jesus Christ's sake. Amen.